of Yahweh. Again, you have blessed me, graced me with this new day, brought me into your treasury so that I can take from the shelves and share with anyone who has an ear to hear and is truly seeking you, Father God. Looks for you, hears you, listens to your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom, Father. And that's all I do is share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom. This is not about me. This is to glorify you, Father. The gospel of your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you came to this earth for me, came for me and anyone else who would hear and listen and believe. Father God, that the word is delivered and sown and that the seeds fall amongst good soil, Father. We know that the devil will try to take whatever he can, whenever he can, however he can. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity, the opportunity to be about your business. Brothers and sisters, this word of God teaches us that there are many things that are here that are not going to make our walk perfect. Many people have a total misconception of Christianity. True Christianity. Let me let me re re-emphasize that. True Christianity. <coughs> they declare themselves to be Christians, yet they wouldn't know true Christianity. If it presented itself and introduce itself outright because they practice so little they don't even recognize it because they don't even read the Bible. There are individuals just like that. When they go to church, they only go for special occasions. I was... uh, I was watching um, my biblical translation. It's it's a program called Chosen. And I prayed over that. And the Holy Spirit has told me that it's a good word. It's a true word. It's a translation of the Bible. There are many, many translations of the Bible. <clears throat> And I enjoy this one because of the interpolation of the reality of, of a human relationship that Jesus Christ endeavors for when he comes here. And many people look over this because the word of God gives us an opportunity to do so, but seeing it is really pretty fascinating some of the ideas that I already had and and actually seeing it unfold before me. I I love this. But there was a really 
excellent exchange between um, two of the pharisaical leaders. Nicodemus we know of, and Shmuel, many don't know, but his name is also mentioned in the Bible. And he gets really agitated when John the Baptist calls him a den of vipers and explains And he gets, Shmuel is one of the Pharisees that gets stuck on the letter of the law and declares, <laughs> he is one of the, probably one of the blindest of them all. Is, uh, and uh, Nicodemus is the one that is exploring the reality of God and that what Jesus is saying can entirely be true. He's, he wants to reach out and he wants to, to be with Jesus. And he wants to be with God. And his heart is open. Uh, Shmuel, on the other hand, is uh, not that way. He's, it's a letter of the law and Jesus must be guilty of blasphemy because he's declaring to be the son of man. And like Daniel was saying in, his, in the book of Daniel, and... How can he possibly be? Well, he doesn't look to the other side. This is just, it's, it's relative to, te, to today because this is exactly how people are acting today. It can't possibly be true because. And then they cite their reasoning and their reasoning is exactly what they're declaring that they are, but he can't be that way. Oh, wait a second. How hypocritical is that? And that's exactly what Jesus was telling them. Oh, ye hypocrites. He called them that. He called them out and he called them that. But Nicodemus was declaring to Shmuel that, uh, you know, what do you, what is it that you want? You want to be able to put God into this little carved box that you have for him? And this is what, religious leaders do today with the spirit of God. They want it their way. They want it how they want it. And they are arrogant enough to declare that it can't possibly be God and that it's only God when they decide to let him out of his little ornate card box that they have sitting up in front of the church, you know, over to one side of the altar or however they do it. And I'm you know, I'm not even sure. But there are religions that do that. And our Lord decried his detestment for religion for that very reason. They're not worshiping in the spirit and the truth as God is spirit. And they're not worshiping in that manner. They are worshiping God on their beck and call when they want to open up their little box and have him come out and then they want to dance God around like a little puppet, a marionette. (sighs) There are churches that are doing that thing. And then there are the churches that will point their finger and claim to be a follower of this church or that church, and they want to mention it by name, and then they point their finger at the other churches where they can't possibly be worshiping God and that they're blasphemers and they're, they're uh, 
they're violating all theological teachings. Well, excuse me. Let's clarify this right now. And I mentioned it in a previous sharing time. There are theologians that are not Christians. Not Christians at all. Had no intention on going into the ministry. There is not a requirement that says, that indicates in any university that I know of that because you graduate or you get a degree in this study that you must be. If I go to a, a university right now and I want to take up astrophysicism, and I might do that, I don't know, and become a collegiately taught astrophysicist, and yet I decide not to go to work for NASA or any other space program, I just really like studying that sort of thing, I don't have to become an astrophysicist. There's nothing written down in law that says I must. There is nothing written anywhere, and if it is, it's by mammon. And you have individuals that are becoming ministers for no other purpose but their their gain and their vain glory. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Pardon me. They're not called to the service of God. They have no calling. They don't have the Holy Spirit guiding their steps in that direction. They haven't declared that not one time. And they go and they become theologically learned. And then they go and they apply to be a minister. And I've shared with you that individual that came to my work and was, oh my gosh. You had, it was as if God had become bipolar. Oh my goodness gracious. Calmly on one end and, and all when he wanted his way and then flipping completely around and going opposite in action and treating the other way, this person became loud and boisterous and uh, aggressive and and spittle flying and I just told him. And then when he did step out and leave, he's declaring himself to be a minister and I just told him flat out, I said, you can claim to be anything that you want to be. I said, but the authority doesn't come from you or it doesn't come from a piece of paper, it comes from Yahweh, it comes from God. Maker of all things made is where the authority comes from. You can speak any way that you want to. And then later on in the evening, he shows up and he's got this piece of paper that he's trying to wave in my face that I have to do everything for him free and give him freely because he's an ordained minister. Well, that certificate, let me tell you, you can buy those certificates from print stores, you can have them made and anyone can put their signature on it and that doesn't certify anything. It wasn't notarized, it wasn't anything. The signature looked the same as his. So, you know, anyone can get these things and it's, it's pretty sad. 
But you have to understand that this was being done, this sort of thing was being done back in the time of Jesus, that there were individuals that were teaching falsely, false prophets, false teachers, false doctrines. And you have the pharisaical teaching that is trying to declare that they are the penultimate authority and yet they were doing the very same thing. They were teaching falsely and they were professing false doctrine. And they didn't like it when John the Baptist called them a den of vipers or a pit of vipers. Or... And they didn't like it because they took offense at the fact that, you know, oh my God, do you even know how vipers are born? Well, the mother carries them alive and then they eat their way out. when the young are ready to be birthed. They took offense at the fact that that's the way they're birthed, but it, they didn't even understand what was being the... Uh, they didn't understand the analogy at all. They didn't get it. They were stuck in the fact that, oh, they eat their way out of their live mother to be born alive. Not even understanding that the poison that they were putting out on people, the, the poison that they were inflicting into people's systems by teaching the false doctrines and false teachings. And John the Baptist was pointing this out. Of course, they didn't like the way that he did it. But what are you going to do? You going to tiptoe? Are you going to be bold? I mean, he might have been a little on the overdone bold side, perhaps, but yet his cousin Jesus just told him to be careful. He didn't tell him to not. He just told him to be careful because there were many that didn't like the way he was saying things and they were going to try to kill him. And of course, ultimately, we know that Herod did because he called Herod out, called his whole family out for their egregious behavior and intermarrying and taking a son's wife or taking a brother's wife. And that was going on and on, back and forth and back and forth. And then finally, Herod had lust for his daughter. Wasn't even his daughter, but then <clears throat> through her mother, finally to Herod that she wanted John the Baptist's head. So he had John the Baptist beheaded and presented that to her. That's pretty pathetic. We have individuals today who are just as pathetic. Don't like the way I call things. That's unfortunate. But I share truth, knowledge, and wisdom that comes from God. I do not seek validation from mammon. No one from mammon. I honestly, I don't care who you think you are or what your self-proclamation would be. My authority comes from Abba Yahweh, maker of all things made, Lord God Almighty. The Holy Spirit speaks to me and guides me through what I share. That validation is the only validation that I am concerned with and care about, that I am about my father's business. 
And I've shared this with you before. I'll share it with you again because I'm going to get kind of heavy-handed here. If you don't like listening to what I say, don't listen. Turn it off. Except that I also invite you to, and actually I beg you to try my spirit. If the Holy Spirit tells you not to listen, then you don't listen. But I'm quite confident, very confident, and faithfully believing that that's not going to happen. Why? Because I share the truth. The truth of Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, being manifest and incarnate on this world. He came for our sake. He came for me and anyone else who would listen and believe. And that's what this is totally about, for the opportunity for you to hear the word of God and to be First Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made non-effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, perish in foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What does that mean? That means that I am sent in the word of God to share the word of God, the truth from God, the knowledge from God, the wisdom from God. And I am sent to feed those out there who would have and desire in their heart the opportunity to accept that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. God manifests in this way. I shared that, and I'd never heard it put this way before, but I I love the way that uh, Pastor Reynolds shared the umbilical manifestation of Jesus Christ, anointed of God, coming to this earth. But the umbilical manifestation and that touch because the umbilical cord denotes the attachment to to uh, his earthly mother. And that description and that uh, analogy in that it denotes the human value that was in Jesus when he walked this earth, becoming that way so that more relative and more empathetic to what was about mammon or man or woman. And he walked amongst us for three years. And there are going to be those that are, well, how can you say amongst us? He wasn't even alive then. Well, I say that because I am in this world. I'm not of this world because I have faith in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. And I'm about my father's business, not that of myself and not that of worldly things. I do my job. And I pray and remind myself that it's to God because God brought me here for a reason and a purpose, not 
as I share with you, I'm not 100% sure of what that is. And that's okay. Here's the thing too. We get caught up so much pre-planning and so much of our trying to figure things out and our trying to put things together. And we, on this mammalian plane of existence, try to establish a reason for it. Why why has God got me doing this? Why this? Why this? We're always and always asking why. Number one, it's none of your business because God is sovereign Lord God of all. Faith in God and that he knows what he's doing. You think? It's none of your business why. Just like when you have a job and you're working at a certain job and there are certain things that the hierarchy in that job don't share with you and you are a floor employee instead of an upper echelon supervisor, management, or anything like that, that there are things that you are not told because it's not in your purview or your status of to even be part of that. They're not going to tell you. Run into that constantly. Certain things you're not going to share because, honestly, it's just none of my business. I would like to know because I seek that sort of thing. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's a curse that I put upon myself. I, I like information. I want to know things. But here's the thing. I don't ask God why. Instead, my question to God is, what are you trying to show me, Father? <clears throat> Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your leading. Thank you for guiding my steps. Thank you for bringing me into this. And thank you for just being with me in my weakness. And thank you for being my strength in my weakness. I worship the Lord God in that there, there's a trial, okay? And so the point would be what? That he's trying to teach me something and he's allowing this to happen in this way because it's a lesson to be had. is trying to establish good things in my life and for me. Ah, Holy Spirit's driving me around this book of Corinthians, really. <laughs> he just took another turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear <clears throat> and in much trembling. <clears throat> Pardon me. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Albeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor are the princes of this world, but that come to naught. So those that declare all this wisdom on their own, and they are princes or governors, now remember biblical speech, 
biblical speech when they talk about king. Yes, we have countries that do have kings, but when they're talking about kings and princes, we're talking about presidents and governors and mayors because not all countries have princes or regents. There are countries that do and countries that don't, but it's still applicable. They declare themselves in authority and they declare that their authority is ultimate and that God is only God when they decide that he can be let out of his little car box to be in that leadership. And you have to remember too, is it even in this situation with what's going on in the world now, you have Russia and you have Ukraine. That's not a pleasant thing, but you don't pray for God to take a side. You simply pray for God's knowledge and his wisdom and his guidance. And there are people that are praying for God to take the Ukraine side and destroy Russia. Hmm. Not wholly appropriate. We pray for their safety, strength, and courage in the righteous warfare or righteous defense of their land. We, we know that what's going on is not right. God knows that, but our declaration is for his strength. It's not to be a Democrat or a Republican, to help lead a democracy or a socialistic government. We don't pray for God to take a side that way. And you remember when Joshua was getting ready to go down into the Valley of Jericho when he met the Spirit of the Lord there. And I declare that as the Spirit of the Lord because it's not talked about in this in the Scripture. It does not say an angel. It said a man stand opposing him with his sword drawn. And as I've shared before, when anyone in the Bible has knelt down before an angel and began to worship, <clears throat> the angel told them to stand up, that they worship Lord God only. And the declaration of the ground being holy comes from the Lord. Now, when Joshua met this man opposing him with his sword drawn, he didn't have his sword drawn to swing and slay him. He had his sword drawn and was standing there. <clears throat> and Joshua asked him, he said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? They were getting ready, he was getting ready to lead the people down in the Valley of Jericho. And this man, whom he at first did not recognize, he simply said nay. He's not for them, and he's not for the adversary. He's, the side is determined by the character of the heart and what the heart is leading. He's not going to take your side because one or two of your captains are faithful and praying that they win. It isn't, it isn't like that. That's not the operation of God through situations of that kind. And then, of course, Joshua realized that he was, uh, that when he said the captain of the host of heaven, identified himself, and then Joshua threw himself down and, 
and removed his shoes because he was told he was on holy ground. And he knew he was on holy ground. Threw himself down on his face. So Paul is declaring to the church at Corinth that he's not coming to be over them because he's got his degree and he's got really great speeching, speech abilities and, and so forth and so on. And that's not what it's about. What it is about is to share the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And back up to verse four. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, where the truth comes from. And there are false teachers and false, false doctrines that are being professed out here in this day. I've shared with you the perverts, they get on that stage and they, alluring speech, they have this eloquent way of speaking and they draw people in by their, their mighty and beautiful twisting of the words and then they don't explain anything. They don't help the, the body understand. They just twist the words and it's like they're, uh, it's as if they're drawing with a filigree pen and they're making these beautiful ornate twists and turns. If any of you have seen calligraphy, filigree is used in jewelry, filigree is used in calligraphy when you have uh, a capital letter or you have a sentence starting and then all around the way they used to do in some old English prints. They'd have all these little twists and turns and all this ornamentation all around the capital letter at the first one. That's called calligraphic filigree. And filigree is that when the uh, jeweler puts that ornate little twists and turns in the, the side of a ring, sometimes you have a plain band and you just have the design on top. And sometimes you have all this ornamentation that's inset in the middle that's carved. And some of that is hand carved. That's filigree. Anything to add ornamentation. So you have these individuals, these perverts, that get up on the stage. And remember, I've shared with you before that perversion is not have anything to do with sexual and they're not up on these podiums and they're not standing behind the dice in the middle of the church declaring their perversion, sexual perversions. They're not doing that. Although there are some churches that do that. That's pretty good. Boy, they're going to have some serious answering to do. But the perversion has to do with the maligning, the overshadowing of the word of God. They're not speaking with true power and authority, but with their own mindset. And here's the thing. This, this guy decided that by his limited reading of John 3.16, didn't read it contextually. He, didn't, he took a verse out of context and then declared that we need to rewrite and reteach John 3.16 because it's not being taught properly. Well, yes, it is. It's being taught exactly how God meant to say it. He's not condemning men or women for not accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, as he who came and sacrificed himself, who was umbilically tied to us. I love that 
analogy because that made him man. And remember this, that he manifested himself holy as man on the face of this earth, and he was indeed a man. He was a craftsman. He smashed his thumb once or twice with a hammer, I'm quite certain, or a mallet, in helping somebody. And when he left the disciples, he went sometimes to be alone and to pray, and sometimes he went off to interact with people because that's what he was about. And he liked to do that very thing. He liked to interact with the people. And he would help them, as a craftsman would, to repair or aid them with whatever they were doing. That's what Jesus was about, interacting with the people. Being a craftsman, I fully believe that he did that. And as he told the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees when they came and they tried to condemn him when he was eating with Matthew and and Mary and the other disciples, they were sitting in there with several publicans and and, uh, they were condemning him. Oh, how are you doing this? You're in there with with those people and, you know, they're they're set, they'll make us unclean, you know. And he, he told them straight up, he said, hey, A physician does not come for the well. A physician comes to heal the sick. Those that need the physician. You claim that you don't need to be healed. You don't need to be taught the word because, and he didn't come out and say this, and he may have, but it's not spoken openly in the scriptures, but I'm quite certain that Jesus had plenty to say to them that is not shared with us. Why? Because it's not in our purview. It's not, it's not really concerned us, but we can interpolate. Jesus probably shed this bright light on him. You claim that you don't need the healing because your arrogance is your healing. Your arrogance is your truth. Your arrogance and your claim to having scriptural knowledge is all that you believe, and it doesn't matter what I tell you anyway. Just like they totally missed what John the Baptist was telling them. They totally missed that, and they simply became offended by the fact that he would dare to say that. Happened the other day. I mean, I I gave this individual a compliment. I was being complimentary. Absolutely complimentary. No insult. And didn't even say it as an insulting way. Totally complimentary. Immediately took offense to what was shared with him and declaring that I didn't know him and who do I think I am. And then it took a turn to the racially motivated. So what that totally explained to me was it had nothing to do with actually what I said was in fact his offense at the separation of our color. But then in his declaring the negativity, he was declaring the very thing that he was speaking outwardly, supposedly against, was what he believed in the character of his heart. Translation, the man was black, I'm a Native American, I have olive-complected skin, but I don't look like Hippocrywood testifies to the long hair and smooth skin and the very darkly-complected skin. 
Not all Native Americans are that way. Okay? You have the Inuit Eskimo people. They are Native Americans. They are Indians, but they don't look like it. And you have my ancestors are from the Northeast Woodlands. They don't have that long, dark hair and smooth skin. They have facial hair. Their skin is paler. And because of the area that they live in, it tends to get cold in the wintertime. So his profession of being offended by my sharing was actually his offense was making becoming manifest verbally from him. And I didn't become confrontational. I just said, you know, you're getting a free ride. Go sit down and let's just discontinue this conversation. Go sit down and you're riding free. That offended him. But I was not going to sit still for three, four, five minutes waiting for him to find something, his past or being able to find what he can. And there's all sorts of people I have to take to work. They want to get home. They want to go, you know, to their families and get dinner. Or they have to go to work. And But yet he was completely fine with the fact that everybody had to sit around and wait for him. And sometimes, you know, women... Him, her, doesn't matter. And see, I'm about trying to help other people get what they need to have. So it takes too long. They're going to get a free ride. Sometimes they know that. What I'm sharing the point is that people will declare being offended when, in fact, this is what they completely are following. His profession to being offended was actually what he was following. So, also, too, this is Jesus was um, sending out disciples to share the word and the gospel. And he sent out disciples. And You remember this is in uh, Luke chapter 10. And he's sending out, he has sent out the disciples and he has uh, 70 individuals that have returned and came back and they're all excited. And the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. This is uh, 1017. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And I share that's an important fact that Jesus declared that to his disciples. We are his disciples. So why is it that you have these individuals that, oh, 
They robbed me of my joy. They took my happiness. I don't feel very happy today because they came in and they took this and the, and the devils came and stole that from me and the demons came and stole this from me and took that and I can't, I can't rejoice. I can't go to church today because I don't feel very joyful. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, excuse me. Luke 10 declares the word of our Lord. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Bible speak for minions or demons that work for Satan. Over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And he also reminds them not to be happy that they have that authority, but that their names are written in heaven in the book of life. We have to remember that Satan is not as God, okay? He is not God's opposite. He is not as God. He is not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. None of that. That's why he has the minions. Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, fear, liar, whatever you want to call him, and however title that you tack on to him, he was an archangel. And his declaration that he was going to be as God and take over heaven and a third of the angels that he convinced to do likewise with him, they were cast out of heaven. That is where Satan comes from. And his agitation, his working so hard to keep us away from God, away from the gift that God offers to us because we are too his creation. And he loves us, that he wants us to be spending that time with him, but he wants us to do that of free will choice, not because he made us to be robotic and follow and say, yes, I will obey you. That's not how he made us. He made us with a free will choice. And love is more powerful with that free will choice. Brothers and sisters, and those that have an ear, hear these words of truth that come from God the Father, the maker of all things made. He offers us by his grace and his mercy freely freely offering. And this is why Satan has his minions working so hard to keep that from us because God offers it to us and he offers it free. Satan does not want us to have what he used to have. He lived in heaven at one time. And this is why too, it's also important when we pray certain things that we pray in the spirit because praying in the spirit is a heavenly language. Satan does not have the authority to interpret that any longer. Whatever heavenly attributes were his, he is taken and twisted and turned and maligned and darkened, and he does not have those heavenly authorities any longer. They were removed from him. But trust me in this also that he has certain capabilities and powers. He can twist the word of God He knows the word of God and he can twist it just enough to confuse and to 
darken it, malign, just like the individuals, the minions that he had to stand on the stage and have the audacity to say that John 3.16 has been taught wrong all these years and needs to be changed. Why? Because he took one verse out of context and then declares the rest. He didn't read the rest of it. If he had read the rest of it, he would understand that the free will choices of mammon to disregard that Jesus Christ came for their benefit and for their sake to save them, but to ignore that fact and choose to follow what they were doing, to be the way they were, a choice that they made. And for that individual trying by one verse to say that the Bible proves that Jesus is a liar, the manifestation of God is a liar, by one verse out of the entire Bible that indicates that timing is God's timing, not our timing, which is what we look to all the time, constantly looking to us all the time. And even in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of everything that we get into, we must remember that Lord God is with us all the time. I love this verse, and I I went to find it. Holy Spirit took me up here and uh, took me by the hand and carried me over here and it, because I like it it's a, such a it's a beautiful interpretation and I also remember when he allowed me to see my guardian this is God God of love he knew that I was having a hard time so he allowed me to visually see what Elijah saw so in second kings verse 6 starting at verse uh Verse 13, I'm going to start there. Actually, I'm going to start back up a little farther. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest unto thy bedchamber. So what they're doing is they're convincing the king that Elisha was spying, which he was not doing. This was not what Elisha was doing at all. Maybe I should back up so there's more clarification. So this was the the king of Syria that was actually fighting against Israel and that uh, Elisha had actually been and spoke to him. And they were convincing him that he was... And they were trying to convince him that Elisha was had been spying and sharing that, but that was not the case. Um, now in verse 13, and he said, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee upon his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was 
full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So Elisha prayed that the eyes of this young man be opened so that his fear was taken away and could see that the hosts of heaven were actually with Elisha all the time. This is where the power came from, from many of God's prophets. And, um, you know, I've shared with you before is that Mammon declares that certain prophets are of the greater prophets and you have some that are lesser prophets. And, you know, you have, uh, you know, Ezekiel and Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and you have some of these, and then you go through and, and they declare, oh, lesser prophet of God. Well, wait a second. How does Mammon decide who's a greater prophet of God and a lesser prophet of God? A prophet of God is a prophet of God, and God sends a word through them to share. <laughs> how, are, how is Mammon going to decide that they're a lesser prophet? They just weren't spoken of a lot in the Bible, or they only had a couple chapters, so they decide that they must be a lesser prophet. Wow. The authority that is declared by self is so huge. We declare ourselves to be in authority over what we do. And we pre-plan so much stuff. Stuff. I shared this with you before. Saul nearly missed the anointment of the being anointed with the oil on his head, which is the custom at that time to become the king of Israel. He almost missed that. Why? Because he got caught up in all of his stuff. Because of his conquering, his collection, and his treasure closet. And he went and threw himself in his closet and was wallowing in the treasures and things that he had taken, pillaged, or whatever you want to call it, his, his uh, winnings, if you will. And he was so caught up in that that he nearly missed the ceremony of being anointed and becoming king of Israel. How much stuff are we getting caught up in that we pre-plan everything out in advance that God gave us the ability to do that and we pre-plan so much that we get caught up in this and like this young man that was traveling with Elisha that he became fearful of all these things. Do we not become fearful of all this stuff that just seems to drown us? And I've shared this with you before and I'll share it with you again because it's the truth. Jesus is telling that with a grain of a size of a mustard seed you say to this mountain be thou cast into the sea and it shall be so. Well, I'm telling you this, that that is biblical speech for those troubles and turmoils that used to be a molehill that we have now pushed up into mountainous proportions and we become so agitated with those and now we don't know what to do because we pushed them up so high. And the giants, oh, I see myself as a grasshopper and this giant's going to destroy me. It's going to stomp me into oblivion. Are we not seeing these supposed gigantic issues as much more than what they are? The power of God. God is with us all the time, walks with us all the time, keeps us all the time. And we need to see 
that we are indeed compassed about by the hosts of heaven and we have guardians that are with us all the time and many times we just fail to ask for it. Ask not and you have not. Seek, seek not, you find not. What are you seeking? Are you seeking to be offended by things or are you seeking for the help and strength of the Lord God Almighty who has told us in our weakness is his strength and he will share that with us and that we glorify that and not our weakness and seeing ourselves smaller than what we can be or what God has determined that we are, we are actually diminishing his sovereignty, his authority and his strength. We're diminishing God by saying, oh, I can't go to God with this. It's too powerful for him. It's too much trouble. Excuse me. You just took the authority from God to come help. You have, just like when Jesus went to Nazareth, and he performed very little there, performed very little miracles there. And he prayed over a few when they asked him how it went there, and he shared that with them. He went because of his compassion for his mother which at the wedding he turned the water into wine because of his compassion and caring for his mother. And he told her, he said, why do you trouble me with this woman? My hour has not yet come. He wasn't intended to do these things. But then looking into his mother's eyes, the compassion that welled up in him. The same thing when he went to Nazareth. This is where he was raised as a child and where he came back to. And his mother was there, but he couldn't do much there because there was no faith. We know who you are. You're the son of Joseph the carpenter. You're that Jesus. We know you. We know you and your brother and your sister. We know your family. And how do you speak with this authority? You're just a carpenter's kid. We remember when you ran down in the main streets with a donkey and you were chasing the colts and, and getting in trouble and being a typical kid. They remembered that, and that's what they kept throwing up at him. They had no faith to believe in what he was then, what he is now, and the capabilities he had. No faith. So he turned and he left. He turned and he left. Don't diminish the authority of Lord God when he tells us to go into something. We must obey and walk with faith. It's hard for me and it's a hard thing for me because I think maybe a little harder for me than some others. I Maybe, maybe not. But you know, as a warrior and having been in the Marine Corps and having been a leader and a teacher in that position and having certain things that I had bestowed on me because of the schooling and things that I went to, um, I find it a little more difficult. But God is my strength and my weakness. And when I confess that and leave it, it makes it so much easier. When, instead of trying to pick it up and carry it on our own. Ah, here's an analogy. Okay, some of you all, maybe even some of you ladies out there, might like football. And we have seen these individuals and we have seen how it works on the football field, but it's very perfect. If you take a picture in your mind's eye and remember these, you get this guy who's given the ball or even a basketball player. Basketball might be a better analogy. 
And we used to call them a ball hog because they would not pass the ball off to anyone so that they could uh, work on this offensive thing that they had. This And in that terminology, it doesn't mean uh, to offend somebody or hurt their feelings or call them names or anything. It's just the offensive process in that when the team that has the ball is moving offensively, they're going down the court to try to make a score. But you have individuals that are arrogant and it's all about self and it's not about teamwork. It's not about sharing with anybody else they want the limelight they want the glory they want to be seen and they want to be the center of attention so they hold on to the ball they won't share it and do what they're told to do and the coach will sometimes put them out on a bench and say you know what you got to sit this out because you're not uh, passing the ball like you were supposed to do it didn't work that way or they go down and they make a score so what do they do they overlook the fact that this guy is not doing what he's supposed to be doing because ultimately he made a score and that's all they were about and we do that very thing now. It's only about the end result. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're doing it contrary to what's supposed to be or how it is supposed to be or how it's intended to work or any of that. That doesn't matter. The result was that they got a score or they they got they made their money goal. It doesn't matter that they're not doing it the way it's supposed to. But in the walk of the Lord, it does matter. It matters that we follow his word, his teaching, and that we are in obeyance of what God has ordained for us. It is important because when we go out on our own, it's much more detrimental, not only to ourselves, but others around us. So we must be in obeyance. Don't be so arrogant. Don't be so self-righteous. Don't be so full of self that you ignore and you diminish the sovereignty of Lord God Almighty. You're in my prayers, am I going out, and my coming in.